Welcome to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson, bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Long ago, the church around the world celebrated the glory of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died and rose again from the dead and opened the way to heaven to all who believe upon him. In just a moment, we will unpack the meaning of the death of Christ from the book of Hebrews in a message entitled, Purity Through the Cross of Christ. scripture today is Hebrews 9 verses 11 to 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We come today into the depth and riches of the book of Hebrews. What is the background to this passage? 
The book of Hebrews is a study in contrasts between the imperfect and incomplete provision of the Old Covenant given under Moses and the infinitely better provisions of the New Covenant offered by the perfect High Priest. Jesus Christ the Messiah is God's only Son, and He brings us the New Covenant. The New Covenant brings a better hope, a better promise, and a better sacrifice. All who want the new life of the New Covenant may come to the Lord Jesus the Messiah and believe upon Him. In order for them to do that, the author of Hebrews must prove to them that Christ's covenant is better than the older covenant, that Christ's priesthood is superior to the old Levitical priesthood, and that Christ's sacrifice is superior to all of the others. Why is Christ's sacrifice superior? Because his sacrifice fulfills and completes all the Old Testament promises given to us in the Old Covenant. That's the approach to the book of Hebrews. And if you read through it chapter by chapter, you will discover that in the first part of the book, we have the superiority of Christ as a person, then the superiority of Christ as a priest, then the superiority of Christ as the maker of a new covenant, and then here in chapter 9, the superiority of Christ as a sacrifice. The Old Covenant was unable to bring access to God. The Old Covenant provided for a limited relation between God and man, a relationship which existed only until the next sin, and then the sacrifice had to be made all over again to reorient the relationship. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the Old Covenant and bring a better sacrifice that gave full access to God on an eternal, permanent basis. When Christ died on the cross, he became the mediator, not only to destroy death and open the way to eternal life for sinners who lived since the cross, 32 AD to the present, but that he might destroy death and open the way to eternal life for sinners who lived before the cross, all the way from Adam up to Jesus. When Jesus died, he gathered up all the sinners from the beginning of time to the end of time in his one perfect sacrifice. That's the point of these verses in the book of Hebrews. Our text in verse 12 says that Christ entered into heaven not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. God required death in order for his judgment upon sin to be satisfied. But all the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin. It was only Christ's death on the cross and the shedding of his precious blood which satisfied forever the requirements of God's holy law, which man had broken. The purpose of justification is to declare God righteous. People ask, well, how can a just and good God let sinners go free? The answer is, God never lets sinners go free. Redemption cost God the dear death of his only son. God cannot let sinners go free without a sacrifice for sin, and Jesus Christ was that sacrifice. 
we need to remember that forgiveness under the Old Testament economy came on credit because no sacrifice truly satisfied God. But God forgave people in the Old Testament on the basis of their faith and trust that he would bring a perfect sacrifice in the coming of Messiah. Since God operates in an eternal now, there is no past, present, and future for God. Therefore, Revelation 13.8 says that Christ was the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. In God's mind, salvation was already accomplished. In the Old Testament, sacrifices did not take away sin. They were merely acts of obedience that showed faith and trust in God, that God would bring the coming sacrifice in Messiah. They were symbols, foreshadowings of an act that would satisfy God when his only son died on the cross. How then were people reconciled to God and brought in right standing with him in the Old Testament? They were reconciled to God and brought in right standing with him by God's grace and mercy, knowing that Christ would in the future bear their sins. How are men put right with God today so that they may walk with him and have a real relationship with the living God? By God's grace, knowing that Christ in the past took their sins upon him on the cross. God declares a believing sinner righteous only because of the death of Christ, not because of something that we do in and of ourselves. We cannot enter into God's presence by being good. We cannot enter into God's presence by being upright citizens or going through religious rites and ceremonies. We cannot enter into God's presence by reading the Bible, by going to church, or even by taking Holy Communion. You cannot enter God's presence by thinking holy and devout thoughts about God. The only way you can enter into God's presence and enjoy fellowship with Him and participate in the new covenant is by the death of Jesus Christ and your surrender to God's call to place your faith and trust in His shed blood on the cross on your behalf. Now, modern men and women really don't understand the method of Old Testament blood sacrifice for sin. There was an enormous quantity of blood everywhere in the Old Testament. And this was God, by sign and symbol, always showing us that the wages of sin is death. Constant death everywhere. The importance of the blood of Jesus Christ is that it showed he died for us. There is no magical or mystical power in and of the blood by itself for it is the death of Christ that atones for sin. His blood poured out was an act of death, and all the blood of the Old Testament points to the shedding of his blood in the New Testament. Blood everywhere throughout the Old Testament. The tabernacle, the vessels of the tabernacle, every part of the divine service, sprinkled with blood, because God wanted men to know that the only way to satisfy the problem of sin is through the death of a willing victim. So Christ, as high priest of the world, offers himself as a sacrifice. 
No necessity bound the Lord Jesus to the cross. It was not the nails, but his obedience to his heavenly Father and his love for us that held him to the cross. The eternal spirit, the divine personality within the body of Jesus, took the knife and slew the human body of Christ. His sacrifice was without blemish because nothing stained or faulty is worthy to be given to God. What did the death of Christ accomplish? Look at verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Jesus' death cleansed our conscience from dead works. This is good news. According to popular usage, conscience is the faculty enabling us to distinguish right from wrong. In the Bible, conscience has a far wider meaning. It means more consciousness, the whole sweep of a person's inner mind and outlook. Dead works refers to all that contaminates our relationship with God. Anything that conveys inward spiritual defilement is a dead work. Hebrews 6.1 uses the phrase repentance from dead works. This refers to anything that belongs to the way of death and not the way of life in Christ. If we think about this, any work which we do that does not proceed from the life of Christ within us is a dead work. Paul urges the believers in 1 Corinthians 7.1 to cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This means obvious sins that need to go, such as immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, strife, anger, malice, envy, drunkenness, grumbling, any other sins which pollute the soul and prevent fellowship and communion with God. But it also refers to the more subtle sins, the sins of dead works, including self-indulgence, laziness, sloth, covetousness, dishonesty, neglect, compromise. Therefore, anything we do in our own strength, apart from dependence upon Jesus Christ living through us, is a dead work. It is the work of man, the sinner, trying somehow to earn God's favor or get his approval to make himself right with God on his own terms. This idea of dead works also includes people who do good works in order to feel good about themselves. The modern world is full of what we might call do-gooders. But it is impossible to multiply enough good works to make up for the wrong that is within our very being. We are by nature alienated from God and estranged from his love. It is not only our trespasses that need forgiving, but our very inmost selves that need to be cleansed. Ephesians 2, 1-3 describes the painful truth concerning our condition apart from Jesus Christ. 
and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit who is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived, walking in the lusts of our mind, and being by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Therefore, our entire being, our disposition and attitudes, our motivations, our desires must be reconciled to God, our entire consciousness. So what are we to do, friends? How do we receive pardon and cleansing? There are two very simple and practical steps. First, stop trying to change your own consciousness and admit you are helpless to change. We cannot change ourselves. That is the whole point of the gospel. Second, hand your entire life with all its defilement and all its sin over to Jesus Christ. Let him take your life and cleanse you from within. As a Navy chaplain, I had service members come to me in my office saying, Chaps, I can't stop looking at pornography. I'm caught. I'm in bondage. I can't stop drinking alcohol. I can't stay away from the bars. I had the privilege of showing them that they are completely helpless to change themselves and that they must repent and believe the gospel. They must reach out and take God's provision, God's grace into their inner man so that God's power can change them from within. There is no getting out of ourselves and our bondage to sin except through the gospel. These service members needed to throw themselves and all their defilement and sin upon Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away their sins by his blood. We must come in contact with the blood of Christ. It alone can cleanse us and purify us from within. Jesus is our high priest. 
He stands before the face of God the Father and presents his blood as availing to take away our sins. No other sacrifice will do because his sacrifice is perfect, sinless, and complete. If we turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, we discover why the scribes and Pharisees were so angry at Jesus. It is because he plainly told them that he was God in the flesh. He was the living God come to tell them the news from above that he was without sin and could give them freedom. They took up stones to try and stone him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Remember that Jesus Christ always demands a choice from us. We either reject Christ or we fall down and worship him completely as Lord and God. Beloved, there is no middle ground. Either we walk in obedience to Christ's commandments or we reject him. This is not a popular teaching. Jesus says, He who is not with me is against me. And his words are not accepted in our politically correct world where everyone is careful not to offend anyone. The truth is that Jesus and his words do offend. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, I have come not to bring peace upon the earth, but a sword which divides people. The preaching of the gospel does create division between those who love God and accept his son, Jesus Christ, and those who reject him and will not receive him. Now, if Jesus cleanses our consciousness from defilement and guilt and impurity, what is the result? Listen to this. The result is that he brings us into conscious possession of eternal life. John 5.12 says, He that has the Son has the life. Do you want life today? You come to the Son and He gives you that life. When we believe upon Jesus and fully trust in Him, He gives Himself to us. He in you illuminates your intelligence with the light of eternal life. He in you dominates your affections and desires with the love of God. He in you masters your will to do the will of God. The eternal abundant kind of life begins now on earth, here. It is a great spiritual consciousness that makes us able to say with confidence, I know I am born again from above. First, because God says it and I believe it, but second, because in me, life moves to new impulses, new desires. I have new energies. I have new directions. The things I used to love, I hate. The things that once mastered me like a prisoner in chains have fallen off, and I am free. This is the consciousness of new life which comes through the cleansing of the blood of Christ. Listen, friends. True freedom is not the ability of man to act autonomously in his own power according to his own resources. True freedom is the ability of man to respond to God, to partner with God in accomplishing his purpose in the world. 
The highest kind of freedom belongs to those whose choices put them in harmony, in cooperation with the living God. Listen. Oil in the lamp, gas in the car, God in the man, Christ in the Christian. This is the secret of life. Just as blood is the life of our human bodies, so the body and blood of the resurrected Jesus broken and shed for us is life for our spiritual souls. The question for all of us is this, do we really believe in Jesus? Are we living in the good of his life sacrificed for us? Will we enter into all the good that is promised to us through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus? As St. Athanasius writes, the living word who became all things for us is close to us. Jesus himself is the shepherd, the high priest, the way and the door and has become all things at once for us. It is he who purifies our souls and brings us to the threshold of the heavenly Jerusalem to enjoy the contemplation of the everlasting feast. Beloved, are you enjoying the banquet feast of the gospel? Have you taken your chair at the table of the Lord? One last thing before we end. Without the shedding of blood is a true biblical teaching concerning the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. It is also a powerful metaphor for self-sacrifice. Unless we give our all, unless we give up ourselves, we cannot accomplish anything important. I happen to enjoy watching champion ice skaters. Champion ice skaters embody skill, concentration, poise, perseverance, and many other important and beautiful qualities. Sadly, many champion ice skaters perform simply for the pride of personal success or money rather than to glorify God through the disciplined use of their talents. But they do model self-sacrifice and dedication practicing many long hours each day to reach their goal. Applying this to the spiritual dimension, the church father Tertullian in the second century said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It is through the willing sacrifice of our lives that conversions come about and people are one to Christ. There has to be a giving up of ourselves in order that we might bring the good news to others. This is the secret to the progress of the extension of the gospel into world missions over time. Men and women went into the foreign lands to proclaim the gospel and often died trying to complete their mission. If we are to reach our world with the gospel, it will take self-sacrifice. It will take giving up ourselves and giving up our time and comforts and conveniences to find ways to tell the story of Jesus to people who desperately need to hear about the Savior. May God's Spirit empower us to die to ourselves, that Jesus may be exalted and his name honored by all. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 
You've been listening to Exaltation on the Voice of Hope radio broadcast. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E ministries.org. We always appreciate hearing from our listening audience. Share a prayer request or need with us, and we'll be sure to pray for you. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint.